Shelly Luther will spend the next week in jail. Now the judge. One salon owner in North Texas. Well, she learned that the hard way. And a hair salon owner who had also opened up her store has been jailed. Luther tore up the citation to the cheer of the crowd. But in Dallas, salon, salon owner Shelly Luther faced seven days in jail for... So your client is in jail right now? But yesterday, a woman by the name, and I want you to remember this name, a woman by the name of Shelly Luther in Texas. We don't support the random jailing of, for example, the woman who's now a household name, Shelly Luther. I thought it was terrible. I thought he was a terrible judge. The, the prisoner would like to speak a word. You need to apologize. What were you thinking? He said he, you need to apologize to the politicians. I was like, what? So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salons. They're putting this woman in jail because she's trying to feed her kids. The whole thing is screwed up. Well, I'm, I'm proud to stand with Shelly Luther, and I'll tell you what happened to her was wrong. Yeah. I'm not anyone special. I just know that I have rights. You have rights to feed your children and make income. And anyone that wants to take away those rights is wrong. We only had people in Washington, D.C. who had half the guts of this patriot play Shelley Luther. Hi, I'm Shelley Luther, owner of Salon a la Mode. A year ago, life was much different for me, as the coronavirus scare swept the nation, closing small businesses and erasing the entertainment and event industry, my life changed dramatically. I was forced to make a choice, lose my home and my livelihood or stand up against overreaching executive orders and open my business. In that defining moment, my life changed forever. And since then, I've worked hard to help people who are struggling due to the ongoing pandemic. During my journey, I've met many other people like myself that have had to make critical decisions at crucial moments in their lives. These ordinary people have done extraordinary things with their lives, impacting others around them with positive results and making changes in the world for the greater good. These modern day heroes never sought fame or rewards for their actions. They simply were presented with a situation or obstacle that required them to reach down deep and act with strength, courage, and faith. Their stories deserve to be heard. And that's why I'm so excited to bring these ordinary everyday people and their extraordinary defining moments to you on my show, Courage to Stand. Please welcome my very special guest, Mr. Stephen Williford. Thank Hello, you. how are you? Thank you so much for having me on today, Sally. I am so excited to have you. You have no idea. It's such an honor to be with someone that showed courage. Oh. I mean, I love the video when the judge said, just apologize, and, <laughs> and you didn't do that. To stand for what you believe, that's important. You know what? That's, what? that's what's crazy about when we met, Stephen. You saw me at the Capitol. I think we were both at the Capitol being mad about something, the governor's orders, mandates, or we wanted Texas to be open. Yeah, it, it was the open the bars. Uh, okay, route. open the bars, um, who are still struggling right now, by the way. But you came up to me and asked me for my picture. And I didn't know who you were. Um, and you said, you're my hero. And um, Tim nudges me, my husband Tim nudges me, he goes, you know who that is, right? And I'm like, no, who is it? He goes, 
that is the Stephen Williford. And I'm like, and he told me the story. And I said, why is this man calling me a hero right now? And we argued about who was the hero. <laughs> well, it, it takes courage to stand. And especially in today's environment, then you get labeled things. And, and you know, when the left doesn't have anything else to argue about, they call you names. You know, it's not just the left these days, but that's okay. <laughs> that's true. Let's talk about, for some of the people that don't know, would you please tell us what happened? Um, what date was this? It was November 5th, 2017. So not too long ago. And it was a little over three years ago. Okay, please tell us what happened. I, w I had stayed home from work that day because I was gonna start my on-call. I w worked as a uh, maintenance plumber at a hospital. And one out of every eight weeks, we would have to carry a pager and uh, for 24-7, beyond call for plumbing emergencies, people ask me, what's a plumbing emergency? Seriously. Well, if you got three inches of raw sewage running th down the hallway of a sterile uh, cleaned hospital, that constitutes an emergency. Or if our power grid doesn't work and everybody's <laughs> pipes freeze and break, um, those are emergencies. Those are so emergencies. Plumbers are essential. Let me call you essential, you Stephen. Well, <laughs> we are. We are. Okay. Uh, so I knew I would be working anywhere from 20 to 30 extra hours that week. So I, I stayed home from church to, to try to get some relaxation and stuff. Uh, my older daughter was engaged to be married at the time. And so she had moved back in with us. Uh, so she didn't have to sign on to another apartment mm -hmm. rent. Mm -hmm. And then when she got married, she could move right in with her husband. And if you're going to stay at my house, rent-free, you're going to do chores. Yes. That morning, she was washing the dishes in the, in the kitchen. And I was in my bed, uh, playing on my phone, checking my messages and stuff. And she came into my bedroom and said, Dad, doesn't that sound like gunfire? Wait, doesn't that sound like gunfire? So you're, you live in Sutherland Springs. Yes. Um, did you hear the shots yourself or not until she had come and told you? Well, it was kind of, it, that part of my house was built later and we have double pane windows, better insulation and stuff. We closed in that part of the, for my master bedroom and it wasn't quite as loud in my bedroom. And your mind always goes to trying to make something normal out of something that's very abnormal. Anything but gunshots. Well, A you, car backfiring, anything. I mean, because you just don't expect. Yeah, they call it uh, denial. <laughs> yeah. and, and your mind wants to, to make something normal. Mm -hmm. And I said, that sounds like someone tapping at my window. And I went over and I opened the curtain back. And I didn't see anything. She said, come into the kitchen. And when I walked out of my bedroom, right away I recognized it as gunfire. I said, it's gunfire. I ran to my safe. My daughter ran outside the house, got in her car to drive up and see what was going on. What? <laughs> what? Oh, I got so angry at oh her. Oh, my gosh. Well, she drove up the street and saw the guy shooting through the doors of the church and entering in. And she turned around and came back inside the house. I pulled out a rifle, an AR-15, out of my gun safe, grabbed a magazine and a handful of ammunition. I just, I just 
grabbed in the box and started running for the door and sticking rounds in the magazine. I called my wife, where are you at? She said, I'm at Rachel's house, which is my other daughter. At the time, they were also living with us, her and her husband, and she was pregnant with my first grandbaby. And they were building a house down the road. And my wife is such an amazing person. Whatever she chooses to do, she learns how to do it. She was taping and floating the walls of my younger <laughs> daughter's house. And, Just uh, down the street? Uh, about five miles away. Okay. And so I called her up and I said, where are you at? She said, I'm at Rachel's house taping and floating the walls. And she could hear the panic in my voice and she said, what's going on? I said, someone's shooting up the church. Oh my God. And she said, don't go over there. And I hung up on her. Wow. Imagine how she felt then. I, I can't imagine. And she knew that you were going over there. Even she, she knew you were going she there. She knew I was going over there. She. So you went over there in what you were wearing. I, I did. I, I didn't have shoes on. No shoes, and you're lounging around clothes. Well, I'm, I'm, I was in jeans and, and a t-shirt, mm -hmm. but I didn't have shoes on. And people said, "Why didn't you have shoes on?" I was hanging out in my bed. Yeah. And just, just, you know, playing on my phone, relaxing in what we call in the defensive world, condition white. Mm -hmm. You know, condition white, you know, low threat level or whatever, and just about as um, calm of a condition you can be. And then I shifted from white to red immediately. Quickly. And uh, So you run over to the church. I started what across do you see? the street and or, or actually started out the door and my daughter came in and said, Dad, there's a guy in black tactical gear shooting up the church. I said, did you call 911? And she said, I did, they're aware of it. So as I'm running out the door, I'm thinking the police are coming. They're coming to a mass shooting. And I'm running across the street with, with a, a gun, gun in hand. Right, And that's scary. Uh, right at that moment, I think I feared the police department more than I did the, uh, the actual shooter. Well, yeah, because they would come up on you and not, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know. Yeah. And I decided the first police cruiser that I saw, I was gonna toss a rifle, hit the ground, mm -hmm. arms spread out and say, he's still in there, he's still in there. But, you know, Chris Burt wrote a, a book and its subtitle for the book is, When Seconds Count, Police Are Only Minutes Away. And I know this, and I knew my community was so far away from the first police department that there's no way my community community could wait for the police. No, every second counted at that point. Every second counted. I didn't take time to put my shoes on. I was running across the street, and I believe at this moment is when the Holy Spirit covered me and filled me, and I cried out. I can't explain why I would yell as I'm running across the street, because it gives away my element of surprise. Right. But I yelled out. And in the church, Chris Workman had been shot in the back, paralyzed instantly. His mother had been shot through the breast. And the killer was walking over to shoot and kill them, finish them off, when he heard me yell. Did you yell something or just scream out loud? Uh, you know, people always ask me what I yelled. and uh, You don't remember? You're, you're not thinking no, I, about that. No, I do remember. I do, was very, it a cuss word, Stephen? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you ready for something really deep and philosophical? Yes. I yelled, hey. Wow. Um, and just I'm trying to get his attention. 
just trying to get his attention. And I'm, I truly believe that that was um, the Holy Spirit crying out, calling out a demon. I, I can't explain his reaction to it either because they heard me in the church yell. He dropped his rifle in the church. He was ready to finish off Chris and his mother. The moment I yelled, hey, he dropped his rifle and he came out with a pistol. And as he came out of the church, he started shooting at me. He hit the truck in front of me, shattered the windshield of the car behind me. So and you are receiving bullets coming right at you. He saw you. He's wearing protective gear. You're was, wearing your jeans and a t-shirt. Yes, he, he was wearing class three body armor. Um, a ballistic style bulletproof helmet and uh, coming at me and throwing rounds at me and and you know um, they and they say they always say but you didn't have your shoes on I said you're lucky I had my pants on <laughs> I mean it was an emergency uh, and so that, did you return fire or what happened I hit him six out of six rounds I ran behind a pickup for cover and I hit him in the left chest, stopped by the body armor. I hit him in the abdomen, stopped by the body armor. At that moment, he stopped shooting at me and started scrambling for his vehicle. And uh, when he, his vehicle was sitting in the middle of the street in front of the church with the driver's side door open and the engine running, he had planned his getaway. And when he turned to get into his vehicle, he turned to his side to get around his door. I put one high in his side and I put one in his legs. He was able to get in the vehicle, slam the door, and then he took his pistol and put two through the side window. Toward I, you? Toward me. I put one where I perceived his head to be. I couldn't see it from the reflection from the glass in the window. But I put one where I perceived his head to be. The, the coroner's report said he had a split across his forehead. I was close. He accelerated, turned the corner, and ran as fast as he could down the street away from me. By the time I got in the middle of the street, he was about 150 yards away. I put one through the back windshield. It shattered the back windshield. Police say that one went through the driver's side seat and hit him just right of the left shoulder blade. Wow. And then he topped the hill out of sight, and I'm looking around thinking, it can't end this way. So he ran, or he's in a vehicle? In his at the... vehicle. Okay, so he got away in his vehicle. And, and he went over the top of the hill, and I'm thinking, it can't end this way. He still got, I knew at least what was in his pistol. And you had no idea how, how badly he was injured, or how many people he could go? No, I had no clue. Okay. Uh, and I do know, though, that he was headed in the direction of another church. Stop. And and I don't know what's happening, and at very least, he's gonna have a shootout with the police. My so goodness. I'm standing in the middle of the street and looking around, and I looked off to my left, and there was a pickup truck sitting at the, the stop sign. I ran over, didn't even know the guy, never met him before in my life, and I tapped on his window and said, that guy just shot up the Baptist church, and we gotta stop him. And imagine being that guy. Oh yeah, a barefoot guy with an AR-15 run over. You just saw a shootout. Mm -hmm. Just saw a shootout right in front of you, and he was on the phone mm -hmm. to 911. Any sane man would have just drove off and left me sitting there. Right. This is Texas we're talking about. We're not known for our sanity. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, here, let's, let's talk about 
this when we get back because I want people to realize what happened, how it eventually ended, and now what you're doing in your life to make a difference for other people. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you very much. The following are sponsors for today's show. If you'd like to become a sponsor, please visit us at couragetostand.com. Amy Autry offers customized health insurance options. She's licensed and appointed with multiple health insurance and health share companies, so she can review all your health insurance needs, advise, enroll, and support you ongoing with your policy. Amy has over six years of experience as a health insurance broker to save you time and money in shopping and enrolling in a customized health plan that fits your needs and budget. Her services are free, so give her a call at 817-809-4409. That's Amy Autry at 817-809-4409. Looking to buy or sell real estate in North Texas? The Neal team with Better Homes and Gardens Winans specialize in residential and farm and ranch properties. Call our friends, Donnie and Darla at 903-744-5475 or email neal at winansbhg.com. Just one call, and as Donnie says, the pretty blonde and the ugly cowboy can put the power of two to work for you. Your journey starts here. Again, Donnie and Darla Neal at 903-744-5475. Hi, welcome back. I am here with Mr. Stephen Williford telling his very courageous story about the shooting in Sutherland Springs in 2017. And we have just gotten to the point where the, the guy has just gone off over a hill. You can't see him anymore. And you stopped this gentleman who was on the phone and said, this guy just... Just shot up the church and we have to stop him. And this guy says, okay. The next thing I heard <laughs> were the locks on Johnny's truck come up. I climbed into the cab with a long, tall Texan, good-looking guy. White western hat, big feather sticking out. He's of a it. younger guy, isn't he? He's he's probably in his 30s. Okay, and, and uh, is, does he live in Sutherland Springs? Actually, he was coming to visit his girlfriend that lived in Sutherland Springs. What? He was from a neighboring town. Uh, Nothing is coincidental, I no. say. But for no. him to be there, readily available, you jump in his truck. And we went flying down the road over 95 miles per hour, passing vehicles. And the first thing I did is I dropped my magazine out because I didn't know how many I'd loaded. I didn't mm -hmm. know how many I fired at no, that point. No. I, I didn't know what I had left. So I dropped the magazine. I see one round in the top of the magazine. I've got one in the chamber. I've got two rounds left. And he's still got on class three body armor. And so I told Johnny, tell them, hurry, hurry. Because he's still on the phone with nine. He's still on the phone. I, he still hadn't said a word to me. You know, he's talking on on nine one one, and and I said, tell them, hurry, hurry. I got two rounds left, and he's still got on class three body armor. Mm -hmm. and, and he's able to drive. And he's able to drive, and so okay. we're blasting down the road, chasing him. And Johnny's giving him a report every time we'd pass a crossroad mm -hmm. where we were, and at first we didn't even see him. And we got like five or six miles down the road and then caught sight of him. I said, that's it. Gray SUV, the back windshield's Busted shot out. out. Mm -hmm. We're catching him. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be serious. 
You know? Yeah, like now you have a moment you're sitting there where you actually can visualize what could possibly happen. It's pretty scary. I'm thinking there's going to be another gun gunfight at the end. and Still no police in sight. Still no police. I never wanted to see red and blue lights in the background more than that Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. You need I, backup. I have the highest respect for men and women in blue. Mm-hmm, me too. They, they were charging down, coming to risk their own lives. And they were coming as fast as they could. And, and, and I have the highest respect for that. And I wanted to see them bad. But they, I mean, sometimes the police officers just can't get there in time. They were five to seven minutes behind me. That's a long time when you're about to be in a gun shooting, you know, like that's a long time. Well, uh, when we finally got up, I, I looked over at Johnny and I said, again, I didn't know his name. I said, you know, if you catch him, you're going to have to put him off the road. And Johnny's first words he said to me was, yep, I already figured that. He's probably thinking in his head, you know, I always wanted to try a pit maneuver. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what he was thinking in his head, but. I I don't know either. But uh, as we came closer, he started slowing down. And I'm thinking this is. Not Johnny. You're talking about. Yeah, the other guy. Uh He started slowing down and he pulled off into the ditch beside the road with a road sign in front of his vehicle. I'm thinking, this is it. He's got no way out. He just pulled over with a road sign in front of him. And Johnny pulled up to the back of the vehicle, still on the road, and stopped kind of at the back. And I I rolled down the window, and I put the rifle out the passenger window, and I reached down and opened up the door. I was going to step out and use the door as a shield and re-engage him. You've had no train, no police training. Well... I used to shoot on a, uh, a team, a shooting team. I, okay. I was a competitive shooter. I actually built that rifle that I had that day. I built it myself to be light and easy maneuverable so I could shoot bowling pins and swing targets and competition, shoot and move. Because if so you're not shooting, if you're not moving and shooting, and you're, you're, getting in a, shot. You're, you're the target. So you open the door, you're hiding behind the door as a shield. Yeah, I, before I got my foot on the ground, he accelerated, he took that road sign out. It flipped all the way over the back of his vehicle. He went right back up on the road. And I barely got my foot back in the door before Johnny accelerated and started chasing him. And he went another three quarters of a mile up the road. And this time he swerved off to the left-hand side of the road, through a fence and out about 50 yards into a field. And Johnny pulled up on the road and stopped. And I told Johnny, I said, just, just get down below the dash out of range of bullets and stuff. I got out and I put rifle over the hood of another truck again. And uh, Johnny did whatever millennial would do. He got out with his phone videotaping. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to call Johnny and get the video one day, but. Well, no, the police. Oh, they confiscated Confiscated his phone and took the video. It's gone. Okay. It's gone. But uh, it took five to seven minutes before the police got there. And you just kind of were watching him, which is a smart thing to do. He's not going anywhere at this point. Well, I couldn't see what was going on. And uh, I I was just sitting there and and I'm I'm thinking, where are the police? And finally, I hear off to the left, I hear an officer say, driver, get out of the vehicle with your hands up. And I looked up the road and off to my left, about 50 yards up the road was a police cruiser officer standing with a 
pistol in his right hand and microphone in his left, and he said it again, driver, get out of the vehicle with your hands up. And I'm thinking, okay, this moment, I, you know, I've got comply. Well, I yeah, don't want who is he talking mistake. to, like you or want, the other guy? Yeah. yeah, and I don't want any mistakes. Yeah, so you do So that. I laid my rifle on the top of the hood of the truck, and I started back to the back of the, mm -hmm. the truck with my hands up. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell the audience here, if, if you're ever in that kind of a situation, uh, that police officer wants to go home. He wants to go home to his family. He may not know who you are. So I'm... Right. Compliant and everything. And he looks at me and makes eye contact with me. And in case of Mike said, not you. <laughs> he showed You me. didn't know, though. I didn't know that he knew You did I exactly was. what you needed to do. So I, I ran over there, picked the rifle back up, and, and held it back down at the vehicle again for another probably three or four more minutes. Before. Which seems like 30. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Time stands still. And more Four or five other officers pulled up, and this time they were getting out of their vehicles. They had their own rifles, and I'm like, oh, I'm done now. Mm -hmm. right? And so I pulled the rifle off, put it on uh, the toolbox behind the cab of Johnny's truck, and now I'm trying to stand there with my feet in the shade because it was 90 degrees that day. And you had no shoes on. And I had no shoes on. Finally, when I ran back to the... Uh, I ran back to the police line. I started to, and they said, no, 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 let us bring up a, a cruiser. So they brought up a police car so I could kind of squat down by it and run back to the police line. They got me back there. And the first thing I said is, I, can, I use, can I call my wife? And the officer said, sure, call your wife. I said, can I use your phone? He said, you don't have a phone? I said, I've got no shoes I, on. Do you think I'm going to have a phone? I don't even have shoes. I don't have <laughs> shoes. Can I use your phone? Oh, sure. And so he hands me his phone, and I called my wife, and she said, well, I got my Crocs here. She was 200 yards up the road at a fire truck and stopped all the traffic. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she said, I got my Crocs, but I can't get them down to you. And I asked the officer, can I go down there and get my wife's shoes? Yeah. And he says, no, you need to stay here. I said, but my feet are hot. And he opened up the back of his squad car, and he said, you can sit in the back of my car. And I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> You're like, wait a second, I don't want people to think this went down the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, what happened eventually with the guy? How did they eventually get him or what happened? Well, it turned out that he had handcuffed his wife to the bed that morning before he left. And before he came into the church and started shooting, he called his dad and told his wife or told his dad, my wife needs you. And so his dad went over there and unhandcuffed his wife. So they were together. And uh, when I was chasing him, he called his wife and his father and said, I've done something horrible. And uh, I've been shot multiple times. I'm not going to make it. And he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. Okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's, it's, all, it's just a horrible story. It's, and we, we lost 26 people in the church and 23 more were wounded. Um, Chris Workman's mother, emergency room nurse, I just said she got shot through the breast. Um, Chris was paralyzed from the waist down. As soon as the shooter left, Julie Workman 
got up and started screaming because she saw people that she loved that was had been murdered. Gunny Macias, a uh, Marine Corps gunnery sergeant. No, nobody seems to know what Gunny's real name is. They just call him Gunny. Uh, was shot five times in the abdomen. He couldn't even stand. And he yelled out, Julie, you were made for this moment. None of this took God by surprise. You need to be about your duty. And she started tying tourniquets and saving lives with, with her son laying there paralyzed from the waist down. She was saving lives in the church. And Gunny was barking out orders and stuff, helping people wake up out of what they were in. And then a little seven-year-old girl came up and said, Gunny, I'm scared. And Gunny started singing, Jesus loves me with her. And you can't say that God wasn't there. How do they have the strength to pull together to help all those other people? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And uh, Zach Poston was 17 years old. as a senior in high school. He had already signed up to be a Marine himself. He got shot seven times. And then he took his foot and shoved another little girl under the, under the pew so the shooter wouldn't see her. And he got shot seven times, and his grandmother crawled on top of him and died on top of him, saving his life. It's horrible. Like, what if, what if you w weren't there? Just you screaming, hey, and getting him to come out. What if you weren't there? I, I don't know. I don't know. I know that they didn't have another five minutes with him. The police said he had multiple loaded guns and, and magazines in his vehicle still. He, he wasn't done. You know, there's a, a lot of people wouldn't be able to cope with a situation like this and turn it into something good, but you've managed to do that. And like many people, as humble as you are, you, you saved so many lives that day, so many. And when people call you a hero, I'm not a hero, I was just working through God, we get that. But tell us today what you've been able to do to help people. Um, you've, you've done a lot of charity events. Um, I've attended, my husband and I have attended some charity events where I know um, the gentleman you were speaking of that was paralyzed, he was living in a mobile home that wasn't wheelchair friendly, you held an event for him to do that. What other things have you done? Well, I'm working right now on, um, we've got a, an event for a Marine charity. We're gonna take a rifle and it's gonna be custom engraved on the rifle, Barefoot Defender. Oh, that's awesome. The, I love Barefoot Defender, that's great. Well, it kind of denotes the urgency of it all. That's what people remember about what I did is that I didn't take time to put my shoes on. And as, as, they, as the, the Jews left Israel, I'm, I'm sorry, as they left Egypt, excuse me, when they left Egypt, they didn't let their bread rise because it was so urgent that they left. And now they have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Mm -hmm. And it kind of denotes the urgency of getting out. And in that same spirit, I guess, the Barefoot Defender lets people know when 
God calls you the urgency of you getting into action. Mm -hmm. So I've I've used the Barefoot Defender and we we are getting a rifle with a Barefoot Defender uh, engraved in the side. The the Marines want me to take it out and shoot it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to auction it off? No, they're not going to auction it. They're going to raffle it. Oh, perfect. So that is so neat. They're going to send send out raffle tickets and and uh, and and this charity helps uh, the widows of of Marines. And That's so amazing. And I know you've been a huge advocate for the NRA and Second uh, Amendment rights. You've spoken all over the nation about how important it is um, for people to have the right to bear arms. Absolutely. Um, and, and just saying, we, we love, we absolutely love our men and women in blue, our police officers. But if you weren't there, so many people, so many more people would have died. So many more. You know that, right? Yeah. You're, you're a hero. Well, you're, you're a hero. And I want to tell you, like, from when I saw you in Austin and you called me a hero, I'm nothing compared to what you did. And we're so I, thankful. I'm a survivor. What's the difference between me and the people in the church? He shot at me. I lost people I cared deeply about. The difference between me and them is I took the trash out. Yeah. And that's the only difference. They're so lucky. So tell people you have a new YouTube uh, channel or what, what are you doing to promote yourself? How can people follow you? How can, if people wanna ask you questions, how do they get a hold of you? I have an email address. Stephen Williford with a PH with a PH and we'll, we'll list that um, as well and what what else Stephen Williford at gmail.com mm -hmm. I have a website Stephen Williford.com mm -hmm. real simple perfect keep it simple for us <laughs> yeah and uh, and I have a new YouTube channel that I'm really excited about what's uh, that what, what are you doing there it's the barefoot defender <laughs> perfect and uh, what it is there to do is um, inform people about politics, uh, bills that are coming up, House Bill 112 here in Texas. It's called the uh, uh, Firearms Protection Bill in Texas. Uh, it's, it was sponsored by Steve Toth. Um, I, I have video already out there. I shoot with Steve Toth and- Oh, that was fun, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. He, he really, and we enjoyed it. It was great. And, That's neat. Uh, well, we don't want to give away everything on there because we want people to go visit the Barefoot Defender on YouTube, right? And yes. go to your website, Stephen Williford. Subscribe to my YouTube. Please subscribe to Stephen's uh, YouTube. And hit the notifications. <laughs> yes. And uh, we've got, I'm going to do one with you, Sally. We're going to go out uh, to the Military Heritage Museum here in Dallas, and we'll have an opportunity to walk through the museum oh my and talk politics and policies and and look at some of the... Maybe see us shoot some guns or something, right? Absolutely. We're going to... You guys, well, I want to just thank you so much, Stephen, for coming to the show. This meant a great deal to me and everybody else that's watching that didn't even know your story. And that's why we expose people like you. People don't know you're walking around a regular person, but you're actually a hero. Mm. 
Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you for watching. Um, you guys mean everything to us, and we could not do this show without you. And we want you to continue watching each week. Next week, we have a really good guest as well. And um, make sure you share all over the place and continue to have courage to stand. Thank you so much.